Can you give a warm welcome to my dad? Love this guy. And I'm going to call my mom what my dad always called her, the first lady. First lady, can you stand up, first lady? Give her a hand. Pam Beal, that's you. She said, I'm not standing up. All right, anyway, well, so let's uh, prepare our gift, and if you could just bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this chance to worship you. God, to glorify your name. God, to sing together and just enjoy your presence and to hear you actually say back to us how much you love us. Father, we're so thankful to be in this relationship with you. I pray that you'll open our hearts today to hear from your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So Pastor Jordan is heading to the Cortland campus this morning. And uh, I will say that of all the rewards that I've had as a pastor, um, and many, there are many, is having uh, my daughter and Jesse and my son Jordan uh, serving alongside me up on the platform oftentimes, and then for him to be able to take this mantle that God gave him. I didn't give it to him. God gave it to him and, uh, and be your pastor. So we just thank the Lord for a good pastor. Amen. I, I, I don't know if I, some of you recall the story real quick. Uh, uh, Jordan had come home from a youth camp, and uh, he was 14, and he came home and said, Dad, God called me into the ministry. And I said, no, I didn't. And I walked into a different room. <laughs> and he came in. He says, Dad, I'm telling you, God called me into the ministry. And I left that room. I said, no, he didn't. And I left again. And then he says, I don't care what you say, Dad. God called me into ministry, and I'm going. I said, that's all I needed to hear. Because I didn't want him following in his father's coattails. I wanted him to know that he had been called. And, uh, and surely that indeed was the case. Is uh, me go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's such a sacred privilege to stand behind a pulpit and be a messenger relaying to you what I believe is on God's heart. God's got such a heart uh, for his flock and uh, as our good shepherd. I want us to pray if you join me. Father, I, I thank you for the privilege. It's, it's an unspeakable privilege. We ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear, open our hearts to understand. Anoint the tongue that speaks to be able to articulate your heart. And when we leave here today, Lord, let it be said it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. That there's redemptive purpose, redemptive consequence as a result of hearing your word. We bless you. We thank you for this treasure. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said. Uh, as most of you are aware, the Bible is replete with um, associations of people as sheep and pastors as shepherds. 
And uh, of course, we know that in the Old Testament, God portrays himself as a shepherd and the flock of Israel as his flock, his sheep. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus identifying himself as the good shepherd. Uh, that, that is one of the more endearing names that accompanies the revelation of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Sheep were a central part of the Israelite uh, community from the earliest days, and it doesn't get much earlier than Abel. And, uh, and then it goes to Abraham and Isaac and Moses, the great deliverer, and then David, the, the singing shepherd, and Amos, the prophet. I mean, these are all shepherds and their vocational expression. When Pastor Jordan asked me to preach on this subject, shepherd and flock relationships, or better understood as pastor and their relationship to congregations, it immediately brought back a lot of memories. I'm going to share a few stories this morning. Some of you may have heard them. Some of you that have not will begin to understand why I'm so crazy. Because sheep will do that to you. But uh, I'm asking you, if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, the 23rd Psalm, which is probably the, uh, the singular most uh, admired and uh, appreciated portions of Scripture in all of God's Word, certainly the most familiar. And uh, those, those will be up on the screen as well. The psalmist begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I don't want to pontificate on every single phrase, but I would say this. There's a serious, deep, intrinsic contentment when you understand that the Lord is your shepherd. I mean, you, you can get by in that house. You can get by with that barn. You can get by with that car. You can get by. It's, it's, it's a certain element of contentment that comes along with the Lord being your shepherd. I mean, we all long for a better job and, a, and a, maybe a, a greater pay scale. And we, we do want, want to drive a nicer car, live in a, in a bigger house. So that's, that's, that's totally fine. But the idea is being content, knowing that you have really no longing once that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. The Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has brought a satisfaction deep into your soul. Anyway, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Uh, this first pick uh, might be a little cheesy to some of you. Uh, I, I, I asked the team here to help me find a couple of picks, and I, I couldn't find a shepherd that wasn't a white Caucasian. It was hard. I said, can't we Photoshop this thing or what? You know, but anyway. Uh, this approximates, but look, notice there's two things here, still waters and uh, they're, they're feeding. And, of course, that's, that's really the heart of a shepherd is to feed the flock and keep them hydrated and to recognize even Jesus would say, well, I, I'm the bread of life. You need to eat my flesh, you know, drink my blood. That was, that was pretty tough. It offended many at that time. And then then he also said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the well of living water. If you, anybody thirsts, come to me. I mean, that's, that's where your ultimate satisfaction in all of life comes from, is Jesus Christ. Now, 
The reason uh, they're feeding and, and keeping the flock are tasks of true shepherds. Now, the reason I said true is because there's a lot of shepherds who are not. They're just not true shepherds. They're self-called, they're self-appointed, they're self-prepared, and they're in the pulpit not as shepherds, but as predators. They may be charismatic public speakers, prolific writers, great talk show hosts, podcast extraordinaires, but authentic shepherds and called of God, sent by God. No, no, no. And uh, you can begin to pick them out. I, I remember many times, you know, turning on a television, seeing a, and you know, there's some that are really dear to my heart that I just love that I, but man, there's some, I'll shut that TV off, but there's a witness. That guy is after your money and his reputation. He's not after the glory of God and providing the goodness of God. Notice what, uh, uh, notice what God says in his word concerning these shepherds, because uh, this is not my imagination, by the way. God says this in Ezekiel 34, you shepherds feed yourselves instead of feeding your flocks. You have not taken care of the weak, tended the sick, or bound up the injured. By the way, what a profoundly clear and succinct measure of a uh, a shepherd's tasks, not only to feed, but here, notice what it says, taking care of those that are weak and tending the sick and binding up the injured. I loved to do that. Pastor Jordan loves to do that. It gives us that sense of, oh, God is allowing us to be in your life for such a time to be able to help in this manner. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. You've ruled my flock with harshness and cruelty. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies. And I'll hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. You know my response to that? Yikes! It's serious. There's a yikes in that. God's going to hold the shepherds responsible. It's a sobering reality. Shepherds have to face. God does hold them responsible. In fact, James chapter 3 says, you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That also puts an element of yikes, a sobering uh, reality to the sacredness of this responsibility. James also said, any man who lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he'll give it to him without finding fault. And that is, that is one of the more rewarding scriptures for a pastor. I, I remember the very first message I was to preach. I had been called to this church. They voted me in 11 to 10. Oh, 11 people loved me. And 10 hated me. I'll get to that in a minute. But on the night that I was to preach my first sermon, I laid down and Satan came like a flood. You reprobate. Don't you remember what you did to those girls? Don't you remember how you talked to this person? What you did to that? What you took? What you said? Your vulgar, violent temper. Don't you 
think that you have a right to be in that place tomorrow? And I, he beat me up till like two in the morning. I was tossing and turning and absolutely distraught. And when suddenly the Holy Spirit came in and says, son, you're a brand new creature. I don't remember any of that garbage and you're not to remember it. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. And that's what he thinks of each of you. By the way, my wife did give me some instructions. You know, don't be jumping off the platform. Stay self-controlled and calm. So I will. <laughs> Almost 40 years and you haven't changed. You keep warning me. Don't do that. You know, I know she, 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 I don't let her see my sermons because she would, she would cross them out, this, this, and that. But all of my, uh, all, all of the, uh, the number of times I gave illustrations and they backfired because I never practiced them. They had just, something weird would happen, you know. And, uh, and that's why she, she wants to protect me. And she, actually, she wants to protect you is really what happened. <laughs> I think the worst, I, I, can I go off a, can I do a Pastor Jordan? Just kind of go off. <laughs> um, but I was going to do, uh, John, you'll remember this. <laughs> I was going to do, I was doing an Old Testament uh, symbolic, you know, all the things. The, finally, I was doing the altar of incense one day. And so I had Ed Kuzmik built this altar of incense, a replica. It looked just like it. Man, it was awesome. Sprayed it with gold paint. Looked, looked cool. And then I ordered some actual incense all the way from Israel. Incense. You know, I was going to do this right. And it came in boxes. I said, oh, this is going to be enough for everybody. And I got hot coals going and brought the hot coals and put them on there. And, of course, the high priest was to take a little and sprinkle it on there, and then it fills the room with incense. Well, I said, we're all high priests, so everybody grab some incense. Come on. And so they did. And 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 within, a, within just like a minute, suddenly, I couldn't see past the first row. It was filled. And one little lady, she's like 80, she's... And she's crawling on her hands and knees out of the church. I said, somebody help her. And oh, it was just absolutely crazy. <laughs> we opened up all the windows. We tried to get it back. I can't even remember how it ended. <sighs> but anyway. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, and he'd give it to him without finding fault. And it's so important for you to realize God will do that for shepherds, and he'll do that for sheep. He doesn't hold your ought, uh, hold ought against you for your faults. He wants to pour out wisdom to you. He wants to give you his heart, reveal him. He's not trying to remain a mystery. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask. And that has such a wonderful, calming sense of reaffirmation to a pastor's heart as he goes to study, to prepare, to feed the flock. And it keeps a pastor humble because a pastor doesn't know the mind of God unless the mind of God is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. 
Sir, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Well, Jeremiah 10.21 says this about pastors who are not true, shepherds who are not true. The shepherds of my people have lost their senses. They no longer seek wisdom from the Lord. So whether you're a pastor or the high priest of your home, the shepherd of your home, you don't know it all. And any time you think you do, then you become like this shepherd noted in Jeremiah 10. You see, sheep feel safe and secure when they're being fed and nourished by a true shepherd. Psalms 23 goes on to read, He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God gives a grace to pastors to bring sheep out of harm's way. They're willing to risk their lives for their sheep. In Florida, I had the opportunity to reach this uh, preach, and this lady gave her heart to the Lord. Her parents were Filipino, and I won't go through the whole miraculous uh, situation there, but they got saved then the next week. Following that, her little sister, whose name is Betty, got saved, and Betty had two little kids, six and five, and, um, and there was a problem, though. Betty was married to a crack addict. And uh, it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse until one night, about midnight, I got a call. Pastor Mark! Pastor Mark! He's gone! He took the gun, and he's taken my son. And I'm afraid he's going to pawn him off for crack, which was uh, something that had happened repeatedly in that community. Uh, Fathers and or mothers would pawn off their daughters for sex so that they could get drugs, or their sons. Absolutely beyond comprehension, vile. She says, I said, well, what's he driving? She says, he's headed towards Waimama, which is where we lived. And uh, so I got in the car. We didn't have cell phones and stuff then, you know. I just got in the car, found out where he's driving, and I'm driving around about 15 minutes later, I saw this car. I came up behind him and got out of the car because he had a stop sign. I said, man, let me have your son. Stop. Give me your son. Your wife is called. Boom, he takes off. I get in my car. We drive over 100 miles an hour all over these places, just crazy, fast. Finally, he gave up. I pulled up alongside him. I was just livid. And we were shouting, and he was shouting back at me, and I was shouting at him. Finally, I grabbed his son. I threw him in the car, and we went home. I took him back to his mother. About a month later, I get a call about 11 o'clock at night. It's this crack addict. Wants to know if he can talk to me. He's, he's just absolutely stunk to high heaven. Been living out in the palmettos. He's just in terrible condition. He said, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm going to die. I want my wife and family. I just can't stop. We walked for blocks and blocks. It was raining and cold in that 
that night, and we just kept walking, and, and, and I kept sharing about Christ. And finally, about an hour later, I asked if he was ready to receive Christ as his Savior, and he said yes. And so we knelt down in the mud of this ditch at midnight and led him to the Lord. About, about another month went by, and he wanted to know if, and I'm telling you, miraculously, this guy got his brain back and his heart back. I mean, it was, it was miraculous. God can do that, by the way. We had a ministry for people that were into drugs and alcohol. We called it the outhouse. The, the reason was, like, Teen Challenge was the in-house. Everybody went in-house. Well, what do they do when they get out? They come to the outhouse. And so we had that ministry, and he was there every week faithfully, and he came to me and says, I, I'd love to share my testimony. I've written a song, and the name of the song was, I Made the Switch, Kneeling in a Ditch. Awesome! And so our church was so encouraged by that. I'm just telling you that pastors will be willing to go out in the middle of the night when most people don't realize that that's what they do, that that's, that's part of their calling. And, and they'll never talk about it. They'll never say anything about it. <laughs> I had a woman come into my office. I swear, I'd never seen her before. Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, you got to help me right now. I said, who are you? My name is Alice. You got to help me. My husband's going crazy. Please, I'll take you to where he is. And, and she ran out my office. I, I followed out. I got in my car. I followed her car. And we went down over this road and down through. And finally, she turns off the road down to this little dirt path. And, and I followed her down there. And she stops and gets out. And there's no, there's no house. I said, where are we? She says, oh, it's down that path. Said, we have our house on the other side of those pine trees. I said, but he's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. I said, well, I'll talk to him. You know, everybody loves a pastor. <laughs> so I walk up there, and I get about from maybe here to that wall over there, and there's this line of woods, and all of a sudden there's this clearing. And I get to about the last tree, and the main uh, front picture window explodes, and out came a double barrel shotgun. Boom, boom, and pine needles are falling all over my head, man. And I get behind that. I said, what? I said, hey, Larry, I just want to talk to you. Boom, boom. Oh, my goodness, needles falling all over me, and I'm going, Larry, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Boom, boom. Six shots. Pine needles flying. I just, I, I've never run so fast in my life. Besides pine trees, I finally get out to the clearing, and I put my hand on my daughter says, your husband's crazy. And she says, I told you that. I left her there, and I took off. So it's a year later, and we have a Wednesday night. Uh, at that time, they had Wednesday night services. Uh, I was preaching. There's probably 100 people there. And uh, all, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I had not shared this, not a wit with anyone. 
I thought, this is a perfect night with the scripture that I was, this is a perfect night to give this example. So I told him that story. Now, I'm just about done with the story, and up steps a man about 6'6", six, six, and he walks up the step, or thing, and then he comes over, and he, I don't know, never said him before, and he stands, and he's a monster of a man. And so what do you do? Can I help you? I, I'm that man. We didn't have a security team, John. I'm telling you, I, was, I melted. I said, oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, what you said is true, and I want to get saved. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it led him to the Lord in that moment, and he got saved. And a year later, I had the chance uh, to conduct his, his wedding. I'm, I'm just telling you guys. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. A pastor will lay his life down for his sheep. He will. And many have. The other night I left here, I was kind of late. I was doing some research for this message and I came down. I thought I was the only one here. And then I came down, and just coming out uh, of the hallway was Jordan. I said, what are you doing here so late? He said, well, I'm heading home. I said, he says, but I'm stopping to see Bob Toma. Now, Bob is struggling with cancer, as many of you know. So here he's got a wife and four little girls and little Lucas at home. And even though the hour is late, He's still got another sheep that he wants to be sure he cares for and loves. And I thought, what a perfect example of a shepherd that's willing to lay down his life for you because he loves you. Well, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So I thought I'd pick that up. Most of us don't know too much about a rod. Now, a rod is not exactly like this. It's about this length. But a rod is uh, got knots on it and it's kind of squared off. And it's kind of, it's, it's a club. It's a weapon. It's to beat off a, a bear or beat off a lion or beat off whatever enemy might come. It's also there to beat the head of a few sheep that won't obey, you know, it's also used to help separate the heavy wool and see if there's any parasites or any disease in the skin. But the rod was there. And also, if a sheep was wandering off, there's a lot of times when a shepherd would take that rod and he would throw it and try and hit that sheep off, get the attention of the sheep. Because sheep, you know, they just wander off without even realizing they're wandering. They have to be all of a sudden startled to say, oh, oh, I'm getting away from the flock. And so they would use the rod for that. The rod uh, was a symbol of authority. It, it let the sheep know who's boss on many occasions. It's, uh, it's, it's like the word of God. It helps keep the sheep in boundaries. It, the word of God, it, it wards off the enemies and it helps you. Listen, the word of God is the authority of God in your life. Well, his rod and his staff... 
a young man made this for me uh, in the last year that I was here. And that little crook, that's for grabbing the neck of a sheep, pulling it back. If it had fallen down into a ditch or fallen in among rocks, he would reach down and he would pull that thing out. You know, this is not used for pigs or horses or cows. They're not going to work, but it works for sheep. Because it's a symbol of, it's really a symbol of caring and a symbol of compassion. A shepherd would lean on this and, and also find a degree of comfort and rest. But his rod and his staff were right there to comfort him. It would not be uncommon to see a shepherd reach out his staff to guide or rescue a lamb. The Holy Spirit is our guide. In the same way the word of God is the rod, the Holy Spirit is our guide, our comfort, our our ever-present help in a time of trouble when we find ourselves in need. I see the way Pastor Jordan loves you in a variety of different ways. And I... I find myself just thanking the Lord on your behalf that you have somebody, not just because, no, it's not because he's my son. It's because I see him fulfilling his divine destiny, his calling. He's not a shepherd because I taught him how to be a shepherd. You better be thankful of that. He's a shepherd because of what God has called him to, given him a fresh vision and is changing Trumbull County. Pick number two. You see that little picture? It's one of my favorites. I, I actually have one like that at home. Because that's, that's me dangling on the edge of that cliff when Christ came and rescued us. I still, I still get emotionally broke up, and we'll cry once in a while. I think about my salvation. The other night I was off the men's group. I started thinking about it. I just couldn't help it. I started crying because uh, of the condition I was in and the condition that I'm in now and the difference being Christ and Christ alone. When I see the way Pastor Jordan and Danielle love their foster son, Lucas, it's one of the most amazing acts of selfless, unconditional love any pastor could model before a flock. I'm thinking, what you do for the least of these, you do unto me. What a powerful visual that is. And that goes for the rest of you, by the way, that are in the, in the process of fostering and or adopting. And I want to encourage the rest of you. How can I fulfill that, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me? That might be something that God is calling you to do. That's Jesus with skin on right there. Come on. Uh, men, you are sh- shepherds of your home, your, your families, your flock. And if you are a single mom, then you're the shepherdess of your home. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just Moses and Abraham and David that were shepherds. I mean, you had Rebecca, you had the daughters of Jethro. They were shepherdesses, Right? So you, you become shepherds of your home. 
Pastor Jordan, Pastor David, Pastor Ed, our wives. As pastors, we're not perfect. But that's not an excuse for sheep to bite them or try to destroy them. You see, that's the work of Satan. Satan, not the Holy Spirit. Pastors are not perfect. You're not perfect dads, but you're the pastor of your flock. You're not perfect women, but you're shepherdesses of your flock. And you don't want your kids biting you. You don't want your kids doing to you what some people have done to their pastors. I, I always said, my wife and I, we lamented this on a few occasions where we said those who you have loved the most hurt you the most. It just happens. And I don't know, part of that is human disposition. But God supplies grace for pastors, whether you're a dad, whether you're the boss at work, you're a, you're a shepherd of your flock. Whether you're a pastor over a flock, uh, like this morning, God gives us grace to live up to our high calling as shepherds. God will give you grace to live up to your high calling. But I think we can all sing that song on occasion. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But like sheep, I stray. Like sheep, I wander away. I don't know how it happens. Sometimes it just gets careless. I maybe don't pay as much attention in my devotions. I don't spend as much time in prayer. I don't do some of the basic biblical disciplines that would help keep me in line with what I know God wants from me. The scriptures repeatedly remind us to stay in close proximity to our good shepherd, the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, Jesus is spoken of as a good shepherd, the chief shepherd, uh, a great shepherd. And Isaiah prophesies about Jesus in Isaiah 40. He will feed his, uh, his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those that have their young. And then we see what Jesus actually says in Mark when he says, Jesus saw the uh, huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You see, Jesus sees us as sheep. Pastors are, are sheep as well. We're, we're following our good shepherd. So many of us fulfill that dual role. Jesus keeps his eye on his sheep at all times. My, my question is, do we keep our eye on Jesus at all times? We struggle with that. We really do. All of us do. The political setbacks that we experience, the sickness that we experience, the death of friends and family that we didn't see coming, it distracts us, draws us away from keeping our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. And we look around and we see other things besides him. Marital difficulties, faults and failures of others, they distract us. We're all, and pretty soon they'll gain all of our attention. All we see is the faults and failures. All we see is tragedy. All we see is the political mess. All we see is trouble. 
And Jesus warned us, you're going to have trouble, but keep your eyes on me because I've overcome that trouble. Give the Lord a clap offering. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on him because that's the only voice that will truly lead you through difficult times. So no wonder the psalmist says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because I know you're with me. You see, sheep are virtually blind at a distance beyond 50 feet. As such, they're prone to being lost, confused, and wander off, oblivious to danger, oblivious to the proximity of the rest of the flock and the proximity of an enemy. They might even wander so far as not to be able to hear the shepherd's voice. People are like that. People like to wander off. If sheep were to get so far away as to be lost... They could not lie down in any sense of peaceful repose, as David indicated. A crack of lightning would send sheep, a flock of sheep, fleeing in a hundred different directions because they're just scaredy cats. They're filled with fear all the time. One of the crazy things about sheep is how many are stubbornly independent and so readily used by Satan to hurt both flocks and shepherds. They absolutely resist any need to admit their need for a shepherd. When sheep are of the disposition to be stubborn and independent, they'll church hop here and there and all over the place. They'll never serve. They're always consuming but never serving, never building others up but always critical and complaining about what's wrong at this particular church or with that particular pastor. We have a choice. We're either going to allow the Holy Spirit to allow us to be life lifters, to be people of encouragement, blessing, and serving others, or we're going to be takers, not givers, complainers, and consumers, not servers. We're going to be uh, lovers of ourselves and not lovers of the flock. You have a choice, my friend, and every day you get up and you have to make that decision. Ezekiel says this, isn't it enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourselves? Must you also trample down the rest? Isn't it enough for you to drink clear water for yourselves? Must you also muddy the rest of the water? Uh, with your feet, why must my flock eat what you have trampled down and drink water you have muddied? Oh, I can't tell you the distress that comes when people say untruths and slander the church and, and you know, uh, or the pastor. It's just, there's no way to defend yourself. You just... Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'll surely judge between fat sheep and scrawny sheep. For you fat sheep pushed and butted and crowded my sick and hungry flock until you scattered them to distant lands. L listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. It was, it was uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, we weren't even in here yet, so I don't even know when that, I can't remember. But I was up in, in the uh, other sanctuary where the kids are now. I was in the sound booth, and I was praying back there. And all of a sudden, I'm asking God, what is going on? I mean, the trouble that was happening, whether it was Pleasant Valley or whether it was down in Warren or whether it was, it was, it was trouble all around. 
And I'm asking God, what is going on? Boom! Just like that. I, I kind of went into a, a trance. I caught an absolute vision as clear as any I've had since I've come to know Christ. I looked to my left where the door enters the sanctuary, and in came two black entities. I couldn't see their face. They were almost like black fog, you know, but they were together. You could see they, they had kind of a human frame. And so they walked together hand in hand, and they walked up to the front of the church where the platform was. And when I looked up there, I saw a, a person standing right between them, and he too was black. I'm looking. Black fog. Just weird, because I couldn't see. And suddenly the revelation came that it was a wedding. The one was the spirit of subversion. The other was the spirit of seduction. And they were being married into one. And as soon as they said, I do, they went above the roof and above the, above the, the structure. Huge, monstrous, vile, demonic entity. I asked God, what is this? What, what's? He says, this is the spirit that's over this principality. It goes from Cleveland to Erie to Pittsburgh. I go, wow, are you serious? I, this, this triangle, I was like, wow. And he says, and the spirit of seduction, it seduces people into thinking they are more wise than they are and they have more authority than they do. And it subverts the authority of the pastor they undermine him, and they hurt him, and there's chaos in the church, and that's Satan's plan. I, I shared that with Kant. I, I went down. I went on mission to the churches that were having trouble and sharing. And pastors would literally break down and weep, and we would pray and cry, and we would, and we would uh, intercede, and we would start claiming our flock against the, the, the vile nature, knowing that greater was that. It, is he that's within us than he that's in the world. We came against that. I'm telling you, all of you, get up every day. You are in a war, whether you realize it or not. Spiritual warfare is real, and you need to be praying for your pastors. You need to be praying for your, 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 your fathers and your mothers. You need to be praying for one another and pray against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. That's good preaching. You know, I remember that church I, I got elected 11 to 10. <laughs> I was wild. There's about 40 people there, and 21 of them were members. And 11 young ones were voted for me, and the 10 older ones didn't. <laughs> but I didn't realize it. It's my first month. I'm just there preaching and thinking everybody loves me. I'm an idiot. And, uh, and, uh, person says, Pastor Mark, do you know what Mr. Barnes doing? I said, no. He said, yeah, he stands outside the back door every week. He tells everybody that you're preaching from a heathen Bible, because I didn't preach from the King James. So I was preaching from a heathen Bible, and that I should not be followed under any circumstance. I said, what? Somebody will actually do that? I mean, I'm naive. Next week, I went out into that four-year area, and there he was, sure enough, exactly, word for word almost, 
He's not telling people. Well, after I heard that the week before, I called the sheriff's department. I said, what do I have to do, if need be, to have somebody escorted off my property or have him thrown in jail because he's, um, I, I need a protection injunction against the guy? And he says, well, you just call. We'll see what we can do to help you. So I said, oh, I didn't know what I'm doing. So I went up to him, and I, I got in his face like this. I said, Mr. Varn, I put my hand right on his thorax. Not gently. Mr. Varn, if you ever come on this property again, I'm going to have you put in jail. I'll have a police injunction against you. I've already called the sheriff. You are on the clock. He gets in his car, drives off, and I don't see him. But I sure hear from him. The whole community, that small community, heard about this vile pastor, this heathen pastor. This, and for the next couple of years, that vitriol came out of his mouth And as he goes to another church that would put up with him. Five years later, I'm in my office. We had built a new church. The thing was prospering. Things were going wonderful. And in comes this old man. I said, yes, sir, can I help you? I didn't even recognize him. Brother Beal, my name is Mr. Varn. I said, Mr. Varn, I haven't seen you for five years. Oh, my goodness, what's happened to you? He says, I don't know. Nobody knows. Tampa General doesn't know. I just know I'm dying. And the only thing I can think of is God is not happy with me for the way I treated you. And I need you to forgive me. I put my arms around. I said, oh, Mr. Varn, I forgive you. I, I completely forgot about it. Bless you. And I, I just pray health and healing over him. Six months later, that man comes walking into my office like this. Man, I'm healed. I'm strong. God's done a new thing in me. I've got a whole new life. Come on. Come on. Give the Lord a blessing. I'm telling you. I want to encourage you. Listen, do not let bitterness and ought destroy you from the inside. Let it go. The difference between being bitter and being better is the letter I. So be better. Amen? Well, the shepherd's task is to restore the flock, not only from sinful rebellion, but from stress and fear, to provide comfort for his family through his familiar voice. I think, Pastor uh, Ed, I know it has to be one of the things you dealt with when you were kind of the uh, apostolic voice over the whole uh, state of Wisconsin. But the average tenure of a senior pastor is between three and four years. What? Sheep don't even learn your voice in that time. It is a tragedy, a travesty, what's happening in America when pastors are moved around like you shuffle cards. You should stay. It's hard to stay when you want to flee and everything in you wants to run away. I've been there. 
And one of the things that you have going for you here that I just, I know God had in store long before I ever thought about it. Pastor Jordan was leading worship here for 15 years, and you got used to his voice leading you into the intimate and anointed presence of God. And so that, that voice was familiar. You felt safe and secure with that voice. Is Pastor Jordan perfect? No. I don't even think, Daniel, I don't even know if he has perfect pitch. <laughs> but he has a call to be the shepherd. And you hear his voice and you can trust him. Jordan came through the gate. John 10 says this. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I mentioned a minute ago that people are like sheep and that we are natural, uh, naturally stubborn, but that's not all. Can I tell you? If I haven't offended you yet, I'm, I was always very good at that. This is one of the things that came natural. But one other thing about sheep that you really need to clue in on is that sheep are profoundly stupid. Profoundly stupid. Now, if you're not offended yet, I'm sure you are by now. <laughs> Look it up. Even on the animal intelligence scale, they're lower than pigs and parrots, raccoons and rats. Did you hear that? They're lower than that because they're stupid. But the only thing that sheep got going for them mentally is the fact that they have good memories. And I don't even have that. I don't even have that. You know what? My, <laughs> I'm going to say something. I can tell my wife, she gets so aggravated with me because I can't remember certain things. I can, I can tell her every single shot. I might have 90 shots on an 18-hole golf course on a given. I can tell her every shot, where it was, why I mishit it, what's next, what's where. But she'll ask me what, she'll say, what's Jordan's birthday? I'm clueless. That's, that's, un, that's unimportant information. <laughs> I, don't, I don't clutter my brain with it. See, listen, I, I, I saw this, uh, and I encourage you to do it. I know many of you have. But the, you know Dr. Gungor? Dr. Gungor, he's a pastor up in Wisconsin, and he uh, has a, church, a large church. But he taught on, on husband and wife relationships on two brains, and, and he said the largest box in the brain of a man is his nothing box. <laughs> and that was revelation. I was, I was able to articulate what was going on. Nothing was going on. All the way to Cleveland, I might not say a word. And my voice will say, what are you thinking? I said, nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not thinking of nothing. I can live in my, I love my, I keep my nothing box empty. <laughs> it makes life so simple. 
what's Jordan's birthday? I said, well, look it up. Why should I have to remember that nonsense? Listen, there is a problem with sheep with good memories. It's remembering those people that have committed ought against you, people that have hurt you, violated you, done things against you, that at the moment you would say, I will never forgive. And the problem is, we can never forget. The pain of that moment is etched like deeper than a tattoo. It's etched because it's connected with this emotional trauma of the memory of that moment. And so we remember those things. It's hard to forgive what we haven't forgotten. But I want to encourage you in this. When the pain subsides, even though the memory remains, you'll know you're well on the path to forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is both instantaneous and a process. You, it just takes a while to let go, especially if whatever hurt you had a bunch of black tar or glue or something that was on it that made it stick. And it's hard to get, get it off. You have to go back and... And so listen, I want to encourage you in this. It's like salvation. I was sharing this with somebody this morning. So it's like salvation. You get saved, boom, just like that. But then the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's the way forgiveness is oftentimes. So I'm able to go and throw my arm around Mr. Varn. You know why? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that he had even said anything. I've had people in here that were livid and angry at me. I was, the next week, I'm throwing my arms around him. Why? Because I can't even remember that we had an argument. It is such a blessed gift. Ask God to give you a good forgetter. Amen? Okay. The unwillingness to forgive as a result of our inability to forget has hurt more sheep than just about any other enemy or malady. Dear Lord, help us to forgive those who have trespassed against me. Help me to forget the offense and forgive them. Take me to the still waters of inner peace. I will not fear, for you are with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, when the presence of the Lord is there, you have no fear. I, if I have cancer, if I am facing a car accident, if, what, whatever it is, if I have Jesus, I've got heaven waiting for me. Come on. Let's just be, let's settle that thing. I remember years ago, I had Pastor Mary on this platform, and I put a bunch of heavy-duty plexiglass right around her, and I had a set of table here, and I had her and her daughter. I said, I want you to be eating. I want you to find, so I had some cookies or crackers or something, and I said, I want you to eat, and I do not want you to flinch, no matter what happens. She said, what are you going to do? I said, don't worry about it. Trust me. Well, she'd been around enough of my illustrations, she didn't trust me. 
So I told her, we're gonna throw some stuff at the plexiglass. So, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Boom, started throwing rocks at her. Boom, 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 pelting from every direction. Just crazy. People going, what's happening? And she sat there calmly with her daughter, just eating. You see, listen, Satan, this world, your human nature, they're all throwing rocks at the spirit man. And God is saying, listen, stay close to me. I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You'll be able to eat in peace. Sound good? So they continued eating, and the message was clear as a bell. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wouldn't you want goodness and mercy to be your constant companions every day? Why, when you get in the car, you have the Holy Spirit. You have goodness and mercy. It's hardly, like, hardly enough seatbelts in your car for everybody that God wants to take with you on that given journey. Goodness and mercy my constant companions. I want to be a life lifter, not a life load. I want to be a server, not a consumer. I want to be a giver, not a taker. I want to be a lover, not a hater. And that's all the result of Jesus Christ who promises to be with you and never leave you. Why don't you bow your heads? My friends, listen. It may be that today you're here and you have been distracted. Somehow, this world, life itself, it's brutal, it's vulgar, it's violent. It just, it's just clamoring, loud, banging thing, and it's, it's distracted you. You've looked, and you've seen the politics, and you're in such distress. What's happening to our country? You look at what's happening in our community, the fatherlessness. You look at your own circumstances, maybe your marriage or your children. But the problem is, if we... If we cast our gaze for any length of time, any moment beyond a moment. And somehow we fail to remember that God is right there with us in that hour. Yes, you go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he is with you. Keep your eyes fixed on him. If you're here this morning, maybe you haven't seen Jesus. Maybe your whole life, or maybe it's been some time 
and you want to be saved, you just know right now, if Jesus were to come back, you would not have the assurance of heaven. But you want that. You're earnest and sincere. You really do want to go to heaven, if that's you. And you want, you want to be saved. You want the assurance that all that garbage and junk of your life has been forgiven and forgotten by God because he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to be part of his flock. He wants to be your father. He, he, he wants to be your father, and he wants you to be his child. That's, that's who God is. In the same way, he wants to adopt you into his family. Is there any here this morning that would say, Pastor Mark, I don't want to play church. I don't want to play it. It's just, I want the real thing. I want to be saved. I, I want to know in my heart that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Is there, is there any here this morning that would raise your hand and say, I, I just, I want, to, I want to seal the deal. I want to be saved. Is there any here this morning? And I had trust. I earnestly trust that all of us have heard the shepherd say, come up here, come to me. I love you. I've laid my life down for you, and you have accepted that gracious gift of salvation. As such, it is one of the most glorious things any church could ever experience to have Jesus, the good shepherd, be the shepherd of the flock. And for him to call and anoint and release and send you a true shepherd. God is good. And he'll never change. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd please stand with me. Would you do that? Before I bless you, which is something I've always done. Before I bless you, would you just lift up your hands and your head to heaven and say, thank you for being my Savior, for being the good shepherd, for loving me even though I have been stupid, even though I have wandered away on occasion, even though I have been distracted and I've lost sight of you for a season. Thank you for not giving up on me, Lord. You're so good. Hallelujah. Now, with your hands open, I bless you. I bless you with the heart of a shepherd that you will lay your life down for someone. Your neighbor, your friend, someone you haven't seen in church for a while, you'll call and bless someone that you will lay your life down for because you have the shepherd's heart. You have the heart of Jesus. And you're willing. If any man will not lay his life down for me, he's not going to follow me, Jesus said. But if you will, you'll save your life. Your life will be full of joy. You will make those calls. You will make that visit. You will comfort them. You will take that gift. You will do that meal. You will, you will, you will. You get to. 
Father, bless them with opportunities beyond their wildest imaginations. Bless them with revelation of who you are and, and who you desire to be in the lives of those that you send them to. Put them on assignment. Father, thank you. Bless them with great faith. I pray right now for this church to have great joy and great peace because the shepherd is in the house. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Give the Lord a clap offering. Woo! Lord, you're my shepherd. Hallelujah. Now, don't be bad sheep. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a Jesus-filled week.